0: this is section thirty eight of mark twain the complete interviews this librivox recording is in the public domain interview thirty eight luke sharp the remarkable twain detroit free press february fifteenth eighteen eighty five page fifteen the city editor said to me thursday as he handed me his theatre pass "'Most of the boys have to be at the Governor's Ball to-night, and I wish you would take in the Twain Cable entertainment. I thought the Russell House had taken them in and entertained them. At least they'll think they were taken in when they see the bill. "'If you see Major Pond,' continued the city editor, "'just apologize to him and say that I'd have sent up somebody that knew something if it were not for the Governor's snap.' TELL HIM EVERYBODY THAT AMOUNTS TO ANYTHING IS ON DUTY THERE. TRY AND GET IT INTO SOME SORT OF SHAPE NOW. BEGIN AT WHITNEY'S, IF THERE'S A GOOD CROWD. IT'S A LARGE AND ENTHUSIASTIC AUDIENCE. IF THERE'S ONLY A FEW, IT'S A SMALL BUT APPRECIATIVE AUDIENCE. WELL, I GUESS I CAN WRITE UP A ONE-NIGHT SHOW, I SAID. HE SIGHED AND SAID HE HOPED SO. HE'S AN ENCOURAGING MAN. I found Major Pond by the door at Whitney's. He should have been called Lake. He is the largest pond I ever saw. That, how he gets his title as differing from the minor ponds. I would like to go behind the scenes, I said. I want to write this up from a spectacular point of view. I think that their style of makeup and their general conduct would be most interesting. Oh, said the Major, you're mistaken. The Caralfi show is next week. This is a reading, a series of recitations. Well, I know that, I explained. I want to study the— That's nonsense, said the Major irritably. There's no make-up. Do you mean to say that the stories are not made up? Why, Twain himself don't claim they're anything else. The Major refused to talk any more, and went round to the stage door to make such arrangements as would prevent my getting in. But the Major doesn't know Whitney's as well as I do. He set a guard at the outside door, and the one that comes in from the auditorium. This put me to the trouble of diving down by the fiddler's entrance into the cellar, and then up the back stairs to the stage. I sat down beside the fellow who guarded the outside door. Across the stage, at the other side, my old friend the Dutchman was working at the gas fixtures. The view from the wings is rather restricted you get a section of the opposite box a full view of the dutchman and a complete exposure of how abruptly the shoddy grandeur of the stage setting fades away into ragged squalor when it passes the point that limits the view of the audience several cards on the wall said that the insurance policies of the house would become void if anybody smoked and that the smoking party would be held responsible would have the house on his hands, as it were. I put out my cigarette, and that is why Whitney owns the house this morning, instead of me. As I said, I drew a chair beside the guard. "'Major Pond told me to tell you to keep a sharp look.' "'That's all fixed,' said the guard. "'That's what I'm here for.' "'Bet you four dollars he'll walk right past you.' "'Bet you four dollars he won't. No passes at this door. May step over my body.' "'but he don't pass me.' "'Here he comes,' said I. "'Now you'll see him try to cheek right in.' The guard stood up. Twain and Cable came in by the front door and walked round the outside of the parquet circle to the curtained entrance by the right-hand box. Twain came first. The guard put his hand up against him and said, "'No, you don't. Not here you don't.' "'Why? Why, what's the matter?' drawled Mark looking in surprise from under his bushy eyebrows, "'Isn't the rent of the house paid? "'It's Major Pond's orders. "'You can't come in here. "'You can go to the Russell House "'and see them after the performance is over.' "'Just then Major Pond came up and passed the readers in. "'Twain took off a fur muffler that was round his neck "'and stamped up and down the room a bit "'to see if he still had the use of himself "'after the cold walk.' cable also shed his wraps and adjusted his white necktie before the glass southerner as he was he didn't seem to feel the cold as much as the northern author then mark took a look at the audience coming back he said the governor's got him, cable again he's got the audience i mean we'll have to talk to empty benches i'm afraid it's not eight o'clock yet said cable and it wasn't before the hour struck the house was well filled just then twain cast his eyes on the program that lay on the dressing-case i knew it he said wrapping the little sheet of paper with a downward flip of fingers i knew it they've got the program wrong i marked out myself what it was to be so of course they got it mixed this bothered the readers for a few moments but they finally adjusted themselves to the changed state of affairs and Mr. Cable walked to the table on the stage, and the sound of applause came into the room while Mark was slipping off his rubbers. He looked up in surprise as I stood in the door. "'I came to interview you,' I said. "'Then you'll have to take me in sections,' said Twain. "'You didn't know I had something to do—some little things to say—to the audience tonight. Oh, you did know it. Well, I thought maybe you didn't. Some people don't read the papers, you know. That would naturally break up our interview, have a tendency to make it disconnected. I hate anything disjointed, like, uh, looks as if a person didn't know just what he was talking about. By the way—' Here there was a loud burst of applause, and Cable came in. "'Excuse me,' said Twain. And he went hesitatingly, as if afraid he might step too hard on something—' and the next moment was before the loudly-audible audience. Mr. Cable was rather taken back to find me there, but he is a gentleman. He made no attempt to eject me. He is under medium height, very straight, and very slender. He has a fine, intellectual face. His beard is silky black, and his long moustache is twisted, with its end hanging down below his chin, making a bow over his mouth his nose is straight and small his eyes bright black and piercing and his forehead high his hair is the color of jet and as glossy as oiled ebony i suppose you have no objection to being interviewed well you see hesitated cable with a smile i could hardly tell you anything in the intervals oh that's all right i said how do you like this terrific cold it is rather cool he answered looking meaningly at me with his black eyes perhaps dark eyes would sound less john l sullivanish don't you feel the cold more on account of living in the south so long no i rather like it the bracing air yes it's bracing i said bracing i agree with you it braced a couple of my ears pretty badly yesterday i just said to Cable coming in on the cars today. It's astonishing what big contracts the frost is taking this year. This was put in by Mark, who had got back. Cable escaped. Now, to begin where I left off. In the matter of cold weather, it is wonderful what a Southerner will stand. You talked to him, I suppose, all the while I was gone. Yet he is able to go before that audience again. Now, he doesn't feel the cold as much as I do. He likes a cold day, twenty or thirty below or so. You take a good all-round southerner, and if he lives through the first winter north, why, he'll stand all the cold after that that you can give him. It's like the way they tested that Swiss bridge, put all the people on it that could get there, then as it didn't break it was pronounced safe we tried cable north one winter and as he didn't die we felt safe after that Nah, they're after me he went on but cable didn't come back he walked around at the rear of the stage there must have been something interesting back there for twain went to see it too and walked back and forth slashing his arms around himself to keep up his circulation then pond came in and said the city editor wanted to see me i couldn't find him so i started for the office and wrote this up end of interview thirty eight read by john greenman